Today we start a new series and I want to encourage every single one of you um, to please don't miss out on, on, on the, at least the next five Sundays. Because um, this is one of those series that I feel that are, it's important for us to, to really embrace and embellish. The book of James, or the letter or the epistles of James, is one of, is one of the most uh, peculiar books in the Bible. First of all, because of the author of the book. James is Jesus' younger brother. And um, he writes this book different from the other narratives in Scripture. When you read the Bible, particularly the New Testament, the New Testament is composed of what they call the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have the book of Acts. And then you have Pauline epistles. Then you have pastoral epistles. And then you have Revelation. Um, and they all play a role within the process of Scripture. But different from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, both all of these four writings are writings of four, well, three of the disciples and well, four of the disciples, let's keep it at that, um, who write, well, three, I'll explain why. Three, because Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. Luke was a physician who followed Christ. So he wasn't really a one of the 12, but you don't have to be one of the 12 to be a disciple. Can I get an amen? All right. So anyway, so, so, so they write about Jesus. And when they write about Jesus, is Jesus as it relates to history, Jesus, as it relates to geography, where Jesus went Capernaum, he went to Nazareth, he went to, to Egypt, he went to Galilee. It's, it's Jesus, history, Jesus, geography, Jesus, topography, and Jesus, prophetic. Jesus fulfilling what was written of him in Isaiah and in the prophets. So that's what you get when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew write it from his perspective. He's writing to the Jews. Mark write it from his perspective, exhibiting Christ as the overcomer. And so everybody writes about Christ from their own perspective, pertaining to Jesus' history, Jesus' topography, Jesus' geography, and Jesus prophetically. When you read the Pauline epistles, which is Ephesians, when you read 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, when you read Timothy, when you read, well, that's a pastoral. When you read the Pauline epistles, he focuses on putting meat, meat on what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John says. So he takes everything that Jesus did. Notice Paul doesn't talk about Jesus walking on water. Paul doesn't talk about Jesus healing the sick. Paul doesn't talk about raising Lazarus from the dead. Because what Paul does is he gives theology to all of that, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about Christ. So that's what he does. But James is completely different. Because James does not focus on topography. James doesn't focus on history. James does not focus, focus on prophecy. James does not even focus on theology. He focuses on practical living and why is that important because they are there are a lot of people that know theology but they suck 
at applying what they know. There are a lot of people that know history. Jesus was from Nazareth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus went and, and died, and, and, and he died in Calvary. He went to Bethany. We know a lot of history about Jesus, but one of our problems is not what we know. It's what we apply. And I thank God that James said, I ain't going to give these people theology. I'm going to teach them how to live right. And so, and so when you read the book of James, the book of James is the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. When you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges, Joshua, when you read those books, those books are historical books, the Pentateuch, historical book, poetic books. But when you read the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs doesn't have history in it. The book of Proverbs doesn't have prophecy in it. The book of Proverbs is a book designed to show you how to live. How to live. How do you live? How do you, how do you react towards anger? How do you react towards strife? How do you love? When you read Proverbs, it is the daily practicum of life in 31 chapters to tell you this is what God did. This is what the Bible says. But this is how you live. So James says, I want to write, well, I'm writing a book on how to live. Now, when you saw the opening video, <coughs> what the writer in that, in that video was writing was chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of James. And it's interesting that when you read scripture, when you read the scripture and you study the Bible, you're going to realize that for the most part, the, the New Testament excluding Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, take them out. When you read all of the letters that Paul wrote, they all have the same literary structure. And it's the way we do when we write a letter, right? When you first write a letter, you say to whoever you're going to write it to, right? To John Doe. May the Lord bless you upon you receiving this letter. Blah. So when you read the, the Pauline epistles, it starts out with an introduction. And then after an introduction, it starts out who is the letter addressed to. Two. And then when you, you, do, do, you do that, Paul usually after he introduces and says grace and peace and God and may the peace of God, Christ be upon you, then he writes to the church in Corinth, grace be unto you. And then after he does that, then he writes and he presents himself, I. And then, he, you know, depending the letter, he makes di different introductions of himself. I, apostle of Christ. Or I, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Or I, the servant of them all. And, 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 and he, makes, he makes a presentation and then he spends the bulk of his writing, he spends it in theology. Especially if you read the book of Romans, a lot of theology. Book of Ephesians, a lot of theology. He begins to give a lot of structure and theology of God and Jesus. And then after he does that, he gets to the point. Whether he's writing to a church or whether he's writing to Corinth. But James, when you notice James' letter, James starts out. It, it, it kind of like looked like James was trying to follow the pattern of writing. It sounds like when you read the book of James and you just read the, ver the first verse, it, sound, it looks like James was trying to be like Paul. And, 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 and so he starts out saying, look in your Bible, verse 1, he says, he says to the 12 tribes that are scattered, greetings. And that kind of like sounds cool. And then from that, 
He starts out reading or writing verse 2. And it says, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Time out, time out. He didn't, he didn't take time to say, I pray that when you receive this letter, it finds you good health and good condition. And when the grace of peace of Christ be upon you, may you receive the blessing of the Lord. And no, no, no. He, he, he kind of like tried to do it right, but it didn't work. And, 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 and he starts out to the 12 tribes that are scattered. Greetings. Now, now I like the fact that James started out like that. Because notice verse 1. He says, first of all, he, he's telling us who he's writing this letter to. And he's writing it to the 12 tribes, which is, by the way, the church. And then he says, the 12 tribes that are scattered. Now, Paul couldn't write that. And here's why. Because James had the authority to talk about being scattered. Because if you remember when they, when they captured Jesus to crucify him, all of the 12 disciples scattered. So he's not writing what he's going to write because he does not know what they're going through. Because there came a moment in the lives of the 12 that when things got hot, everybody left Jesus but Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and John. Where was James when they captured Jesus? Somebody say scattered. He says, to the 12 tribes that are scattered, here's what I got for you. Greetings. Because I know what it is to be in a moment of desperation. I know what it is to be in a moment of pressure. And the best thing to do in the middle of pressure is run away, is find a hiding place. But now James is saying, I got something to say. And now he says, verse 2, consider it not joy, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> Sorry, I got excited. Listen. Listen to me. There is a difference between a trial, a tribulation, and your foolishness. Let me rewind that. There is a difference between a trial, a tribulation, a temptation, and your foolishness. And it is important that we as believers understand what process we are going through in life. Because sometimes we come and we say, could you pray for me? The devil is attacking me. Or I'm going through a trial, but what you're going through is not a trial. You're going through foolishness. And you're praying God to deliver you over something God has given you the power to deliver yourself from. Pastor, can you please pray for me? Because, you know, I... I, I I go, I, just, I can't stop smoking. 
Listen, listen, listen. That's not a trial. Pastor, I can't, I can't stop having sex. Pastor, I can't stop drinking. That's not a trial. There are some things that God has given us the capacity to overcome by the power of the word. But the problem with us is we know what the Bible says. We just got to apply what the Bible says. How do you stop drinking? Stop drinking. How do you stop smoking? Stop smoking. How do you stop lying? Stop lying. And you got to apply yourself so that when you really go through a tribulation, you can decipher the difference between one and the other and live a victorious life in the process. He says, count the pure joy. When you go through different trials of many kinds, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Some of us quit halfway. Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Oh, God, I capricious. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not Doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So I want to talk about how to turn your trials into triumph. How to turn, because every trial is designed to metamorphosize itself into a victory. If you're going through what you're going through and it is not becoming triumphant in your life, it might not be a trial. If you're going through what you're going through and it's not evolving into giving God glory, you got to, you, you, you got to look at what you're going through and say, wait a minute, is this a trial? Is this a temptation? Is this a, a, a foolishness of my own? But if this is a trial from the Lord, it's supposed to make God victorious over your life. So the key to turning tri triumph, trials into triumph is to obey four imperatives that I see in the scripture that I want to talk to you about. Imperative number one, James chapter one, verse two. He says, count it all joy. So imperative number one is, somebody say, count. Say it again. You got to count. If you want your, tr your tribulation and your trial to evolve into triumph, you got to learn how to count. Count it all joy. Notice that James... In this scripture, assumes that we will experience trials. Because he says, count it when you experience. The In other words, he's not saying be happy because of what you went through. He said, no, no, be happy because of what's coming. He doesn't say if trials come. He says when trials come. So it's not a matter of if it's coming or not. It's am I ready to embrace the trial that's coming my way. And this is because, check this out, 
This is because God wants to teach us this. Christians must experience trials. And if you're really honest with yourself, and you, re, and you, try, to, you try to go back in history from the moment before you gave your life to Jesus, oh, life was so much better. Right? You cuss somebody, right? And that was it. I cussed them out. So what? You lift your finger at somebody, right? Whatever. Now that you're in Christ, you cuss at somebody, oh my God, I feel bad. Because, because, let me tell you, this thing, Christianity, doesn't come exempt of trials. This thing called Christianity intertwined with our faith and our salvation and, and the hope of glory. There's this thing called trials that is necessary for us to grow. Look what Jesus, y'all don't believe me. Look what Jesus said. Folks, me. Look what Jesus says. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Look what he says. He says, I told you all this so you can have peace. So now I'm thinking, he's going to give me a pina colada version, right? Put me on the canopy somewhere and, 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 and have two girls fan me with some fan. He says, no, 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 no. In this world, you will have trouble. In other words, every <laughs> to let you know that trouble is coming your way. I'm, I, I told you last year, and I told you a week ago, trials are coming to your way. Difficult times are coming, but you got to understand and decipher that the trials that are coming your way is not designed to kill you. It's designed to make you better. But how you get better is how you apply what you know regarding the word of the Lord. He says, count it all joy. Because in this world, you're going to have much trouble. But then he says, Jesus says, but take heart or be encouraged. I have over." Come the world. Paul tells us also in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. He says, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain in the faith. He says, we must go through many hardships to enter, enter the kingdom of God, they said. So what am I telling you? That in order to be a successful Christian, God has to allow trials to come your way. Not because God wants to see you suffering in a corner with a little eye bendito curita on your leg. No. God, God, God is in the business of growing you. He's in the business of growing you. That's why the nature of trials, let me tell you, the nature of trials are, the Bible says, when you go through various trials, the nature of trials are various. Today could be one kind of trial, tomorrow is another kind of trial. And if you don't believe me, ask Brother Job, who one day woke up in the morning and all of his animals died. That's one trial. Then the next day, he woke up in the morning and all of his sons and daughters died at a party. That's another trial. And then one day, his friends betrayed him. That's 
that's another trial. And then one day his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? That's another trial. But in spite of all of the trials that Job went through, he looked at everything and said, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, in the middle of your trial, you got to apply what you know about God's word. The nature of trials are various. Some trials we experience, they come simply because we're humans. So we have the trial of sickness. We have the trial of accidents, unfortunate accidents. We have the trials of loss in the family. Somebody passes. We have the trial of disappointments. But then there are other trials that come simply because we're Christians. Simply because we're Christians. 1 Peter 4.12, I'll, I'll read that one other day. But because Satan fights us and the world opposes us, we can expect trials. And I want to tell you this, church, I want to tell you this, friend, even you that are visiting us for the first time, if you have a belief in Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and you believe he's the ultimate, the ultimate solution for man's problem, and you have him in your heart, I want you to know that because just by virtue of that, there's trials coming your way. And Satan is going to fight you. Listen, everybody who has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you made an enemy from jump. The devil hates you. And he's going to make it his business to make your life miserable while you're journeying to be like Christ. So now you got a Christ that wants to make you like him. But to make you like him, you got to go to trials. And then you got a devil who wants to take you out of Christ. But to take you out of Christ, he puts you in temptation. So now you're in the middle of, is this a temptation? Is this a trial? That's why you need to have discernment to know what God is doing in your life and what the devil is bringing down your path so that you walk the right way and see godly results in the process. So what is a Christian's response? How do I respond to the trials of life? What does James tell us? James didn't say, well, Declare three verses in Hebrew and speak in Aramaic languages. And no, no, he said, you know what he says? Have joy. Have joy. In the middle of a trial, have joy. And let me tell you, that attitude was the attitude of the church. When you look at Acts chapter 5, that was the attitude of the apostles. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, look what it says. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. What were they doing? Rejoicing. Why were they rejoicing? Read it, read it. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering. They were so excited. They were full of joy. Yo, it's about to get crazy up in here. We're going to get whipped. We're going to get beat. They're going to put us in prison. And by the way, let's have some church and let's have joy. Look at that. They left out the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they were going to go through hell. Paul, book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 3. He says, after he says, we're justified by faith, we have peace to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. After he says that in verse 1, verse 2 verses later, he says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. The apostles got it right. Paul got it right. The church 
in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, got it right. Look what he says. In all this you greatly rejoice. Who is Peter writing to? The church in Minor Asia who was, who was being attacked by the neighboring cities just because they decided to follow Jesus. They were under attack and they were under persecution and people were afraid of living and they were about to die. In the middle of that crisis, Peter says, and all this, and all what? And all the hell you're going through, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen them, you love them. And, if, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Then he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fury ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But here comes the word again. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name of Jesus. So the first step to turning, tri to turning trials into triumph is to count it all joy. Second principle. The second imperative. We see it in verse 3. Somebody say no. Some, imperative 1 is count. Imperative 2 is no. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So I'm going to count it all joy. That's one. But now I'm going to know. The right knowledge concerning the value of the trials makes it possible to have a joyful attitude. We are to understand this, that trials test our faith. If you're not growing in your faith, that means you're short-circuiting your trials. Faith tested will always bring the best in you. Your crisis, taking that negative and anchoring it in, your, in the God that you serve through faith, it will always bring the best in you. That's what Peter says. It's like gold going through the fire. That when you take a piece of, a piece of gold in its rustic form, it is dark, it is black, it is rugged, it is ugly, but it is the process of the burning of the fire that begins to remove from the gold all of the debris and all of the stuff that don't belong there so that by the time it comes out the fire, it should, listen, some of us, some of us, we're close to our miracle to rejoice in the middle of our trials, but we keep coming out of time. Listen, listen, we, we like, I love me some pernil. 
How do you say that in Spanish? In English, pernil? How do you, how do you say No, no, pero pernil. But pork is pork. But pernil. How do you, how do you say pernil in English? Pork shoulder. There you go. The shoulder of the pork. I love me some pernil. You know, because, cause, cause, you know, when, when, when they season it well, you know, the adobo, you know, the adobo, and, and that sazón Goya, you know, and because, see, it Goya. Some Goya, and, and, and then they put that little sofrito, and they make, they stab the pork all over the pork, and they put the sofrito with ajo, with garlic, and, and, and they marinate it, and, and they leave it there for like three hours, and that little pork is looking at me like, yeah, you know, you know, you want some of this. <laughs> and then they put them in the oven. Uh, do, do, do you smell it? Do you smell it? They put them in the oven, and the oven has a glass, and then they turn on the light in the glass inside the oven, and you could see it, and you could see, and, 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 and 20 minutes, 20 minutes into the, into, into the baking or the roasting process, you begin to smell the pork. Now, 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 what happens if 30 minutes after you put it in, you take it and start eating? <laughs> right, right? It's, yeah. But, but, but what you got to do, even, even if it starts smelling good, you, you can't take it out 30 minutes, right? You can't. Even if it starts smelling good, you can't. You can't. Because, and even if it starts looking nice on the outside and the skin looks kind of bronze and brown, you still, because you know it's not time yet. So now you're looking through the mirror of the glass, counting the time, counting the time. And you're, you're, listen, the longer it takes for the thing to get done, the more joy you get, right? Because, because it's the longer of the process that makes you realize you're getting closer to take a bite out of that pork. That's the same thing with our trials. When you're going through the trials and God is looking at you on your trial, in the middle of your trial, you want him to take you out of time. And God says, no, 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 no. I know you want to leave now, but if you fight the good fight of faith, when I get done with you and you come out the fire, you're going to... Touch it never tell them, stay in the fire, stay in the fire, stay in the fire, stay in the fire. I know you want to get up, but stay. It's easy to get up and go, but stay. We got to learn how to fight the good fight of faith. He says, but, 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 the reason why you keep it in the oven is because you know that if you take it out of time, you're going to get sick. See, you keep it, you let it get hotter because of what you know. That's why the second element is you need to know that your trial, it's God's process and making you better. If you don't know that, you're going to get up and leave. If you don't know that, you're going to jump out from one situation and go into another situation. You're going to leave one marriage and jump to another marriage. You're going to leave one job and jump to another job. You're going to leave one thing. But if you understand that this is God's way of making you better, you have to know. And this is why the knowing is important because faith tested produces 
Patience. Patience. Why do you think when they go to the doctor, why do you think when you go to the hospital, they call you a patient? Because you need to be full of patience to wait till they call your name. And you can't get mad talking about, well, I've been here for 30 minutes. Who's sick? The doctor is you. And you could get all upset you want. I ain't waiting. No, I'm tired of waiting. I'm leaving to the next doctor. Go to the next doctor. Got to wait an hour. I want to wait. And you hopscotch from clinic to clinic, from doctor to doctor, and you're still sick and you're still broken. But it takes patience to say, I might have to wait while my pain is still here. But I know that I know that I know that when that doctor come out that place, he's going to make me better. You got to understand that in the middle of your crisis, your faith will produce patience that tells your problem, I might be in pain right now but the moment Jesus shows up he will make a difference in my life that's why we rejoice in trials because while I'm in pain I'm holding on to what I know while I'm in pain I'm counting it all joy while I'm in pain the testing of my faith produces patience Look what he says, Romans 3, 5, 3, and 4. He says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And the next verse says, and hope bringeth not shame. So in the Bible, patience is not a passive word, which is what we usually use when we talk about patience. In the Bible, patience is not a passive word or a word of acceptance of all the circumstances that come in our life. You know, because some people feel that being patient is being walked upon. That's not being patient. That's being stupid. Patience in the Greek comes from the word hupomone. From the preposition, hupomone comes from the preposition hupo. Not hippo, hoopo, which means to stay, to abide. So when you're saying, when you say you're acting out the patience of the Lord, what you're in essence saying, you're not moving, you're not running, you're not being shaken in the middle of your storm. Think of a palm tree, a palm tree, a palm tree, a palm tree, a palm tree. When the when the hurricanes come and the winds blow, have, have you ever seen have you ever seen a palm tree that 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 used to be straight like this now it's twisted like that? Have you ever seen that happen? Especially when you go to the beach, you go to the beach, you see some palm trees that they're really 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 low, and then towards the end of the end, towards the end of the of of, of the tronco. Uh, uh, not the trunk, no, but okay. At the end of the trunk, the palm tree begins to go up, and it looks it looks like a Z, like like this, like that, and like that. You know what? You know what? You know what happens? Because every time, every time, every time, the palm tree has deeper roots that it has in the trunk. And look, look at the power of the palm tree. A palm tree, when the storms come and hit and hits the palm tree, any other tree that's affected by 70, 80 mile per hour winds knocks down trees. You know why? Because most of the trees of the tropics, in the trop in the tropic islands, they don't they don't have enough roots in the in underneath the trunk to withhold the pressure and the 
boisterous winds that hit the tree. But the palm tree, the roots are so engraved and so knitted into the earth that while the tree is bending as if it's going to break, it doesn't break because the bottom is stronger. Now, I don't know if you noticed, the reason, and it, it, listen, you take a palm tree and you cut the palm tree with a saw, right? And you look at the palm tree, you're going to see when you look at the center of the palm tree, you, it's going to have a circle. Like they have, like some have seven circles, some have eight circles, some have ten circles. And every time you cut a palm tree and you count that, every circle is saying this. Every time a tree, a palm tree, experiences a hurricane, the effects of the hurricane create a circle in the trunk of the tree. So the more circles you see, that's the amount of storms that tree has gone through. But in spite of the storms it went through, it was down, but the head kept going up. Because one thing the palm tree knows is, you can throw me with every wind you got, but what you don't know is that in the bottom, in the core of who I am, there is so much roots below me that the wind of the storm cannot knock me out. What am I telling you? When Paul says you need patience, patience is the base. Patience is the foundation. Patience is the roots that say, I ain't going nowhere because I know that my Redeemer lives and he's going to make a way out of no way. The value of developing patience doesn't come overnight. Listen, patience, to be patient, you need a lot of time. You don't become patient overnight. Patience needs time. So having this understanding about the trials can help us accomplish God's purpose in our hearts. Oh, God, I got to go. I got to go. I told you, number one, we have to count it all joy. Number two, we have to know. Number three, somebody say let. Say it again. Verse 4 says, let patience have its perfect work. To truly, to truly turn trials into triumph, we must let patience do its work. Too often we want to get out of trials and difficulties overnight, but God says, you got to let it happen. You got to let it work. I'm going to hurry up. You got to let it take its flow. You got to let it take its course. You got to let it take its time. You got to let it take its course. So I got to count it on joy. I got to know. I got to let it work. And lastly... I have to ask. So I got to count, I got to know, I got to let, and I got to ask. Verse 5 through it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord. If we lack wisdom pertaining to trial, ask him. Because the Bible says that God has promised to give us wisdom liberally to all that asks. And he will not reproach us from making this request. If you ask God for wisdom, like, listen, if you ask God for wisdom like Solomon, God will give it to you. Now, there's a difference. There's a difference. And I'm closing. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. There's a big difference. Notice Solomon did not ask God for knowledge. You know, when we read that text, oh, Solomon asked for wisdom, so he must have been stupid. Solomon was a smart man. Solomon knew a lot about kingdom, royalty, life. So he wasn't asking for wisdom because he didn't know anything. This man was astute, intelligent. 
But what did he ask God for? He didn't ask him for knowledge. He asked God for wisdom. So what exactly is wisdom? Because the Bible says, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask the Lord. What is it? What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge involves information. Two plus two? Five plus five? Information has to do with facts. However, wisdom, check this out, wisdom is the ability or insight to properly utilize what you know. Let me explain. You can know something and share that to somebody with no wisdom and hurt that person. Because what is knowledge? Facts. You can give a fact to somebody. An undeniable fact to somebody. And kill that person with the truth. Wisdom says, I'm going to take what I know and use it in a way that I can build instead of destroy. So failure to understand the distinction between wisdom and knowledge can lead many people into error. It can lead many people into arrogance. It can lead many people into pride. So God is telling us, if you really want to have joy in the middle of your trials, here's what you got to do. You have to count it all joy. You have to know. You have to let and you have to ask God for wisdom. So now, here's the challenge. Because the book of James is a book of application. So what do I have to do, Pastor? What do I have to do? In the middle of my trial, what do I do? Here's what you have to do. You have to decipher if what you're going through is a trial, a temptation. When we started this church, we went through something. I want you to pay attention. Right before we started this church, my wife and I, were, we were in a conversation with an individual try to tell us what we were going through. And he said, you know, what you're going through is through a process. It's a process. This is why my wife said, no, that's not a process. I've been through processes. No, we prayed. We prayed. And we asked God, God, is this a trial? Because I know what a trial is. No, this is not a trial. Is this a tribulation? No, this is not a tribulation. This is why when you go through stuff, you need to seek God so that he can explain to you what are you going through. Because sometimes you're going through stuff that God ain't got nothing to do with it. And we concluded what we're going through is not a trial, was not a process. What we were going through was we was going through the, man, the hand of man, controlling men. What am I telling you, church? You need to operate within the scope of God's wisdom and God's knowledge for your life. Because if, listen, because if it's a trial that God is allowing you to go through, well then rejoice. Because he who is faithful to begin to go work in you is faithful to complete it. But if it's not a trial and it is a temptation that you're putting on yourself, then you got to do what Paul told Timothy. Flee 
run away. If it's a foolishness, if it's an addiction, so you got to know what you're struggling with so that you can know how to counterattack that accordingly. This is why James says, listen, this part of the gospel, now you got to apply it. You got to apply it. You can't say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord, glory. No, no, you got to apply it. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about how to apply this gospel. One of the verses is going to teach you how to use your tongue. Oh, wait till we get there. This is going to be fun. How do you use your tongue? How do you go about treating people? Because that's the gospel. This is not the gospel. This is, we get fed here, but the gospel is we go out there and we become the church. So, persecuted folks. Those of us that have been, that we are being persecuted. To you, I tell you, church, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice.